Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, December 4th, 2017. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. And I am on my way to a BFA's Natalie Nowak. Guys, uh, we are now officially in the full swing of the holiday season. So uh, we kind of, James, we were a little startled by the arrival of December. But yes. now that we're into December, there are Christmas lights, even though I live in, you know, not necessarily traditional holiday weather. There are a ton of Christmas lights out there. So I feel like I'm starting to get into the season and I feel much better about this now. Um, I'm sorry for anybody up in New York who goes and sees home for the holidays because I'm sure that'll get you right out of the holiday season. <laughs> but nonetheless, I'm feeling the cheer down here with all of the bright Christmas lights uh, and everything going on down here in Florida. I've always wondered, you know, how does Santa come down the chimney if you guys don't have chimneys and if you don't have snow? Yeah, uh, Magic. He just, you know, puts his finger next to his nose and he just appears. Uh, <laughs> speaking of just appearing... In your, in your podcast feed, this podcast feed yesterday, this week on Broadway, just magically appeared. James, you, Peter, and Michael talked about uh, the Paper Mills production of Annie, uh, the, uh, the Signature Theater's Jesus Hop the, the A-Train, Junk, uh, Off-Broadway's Who's Holiday, The Parisian Woman, and more. What was your big takeaway from that episode? Uh, that we talked about Annie for like 30 minutes and we had so much to say about it. And we all agreed that it's such a great production out at the paper mill and that folks uh, should go see it. Awesome. Very cool. Annie's one of those shows that there's so many different directions you can approach that show with. It could be a nice family fun thing or it can, you know, kind of dive really deep into the social commentary of it. Um, I think that speaks to how interesting of, of, a, of a show it is and how well written it is that different productions can take different avenues. So I'm glad to hear that that one was good. Um, Natalie, you had kind of a, a cool little update episode about what's going on with your academic year that yes, came out on Saturday. Do you want to give everybody just a little hint as to what's going on there? I enjoyed the stuff about... Um, you know, you covering yourself with mustard for a class assignment. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, yeah, it was kind of a jam-packed episode just of me talking about all the different things that have happened this semester and the crazy experiences in acting class. So you can listen to hear all about me covering myself in mustard. <laughs> Lord, and the little plastic hands. Very oh, good. Yes. Anyway, um, <laughs> speaking of something that doesn't gross you out because that I'm starting to smell mustard now just talking yeah. about it that, that's no bueno um but uh over the weekend uh the great Lin-Manuel Miranda confirmed that he and his wife Vanessa Nadal are expecting their second child they stepped out on a red carpet over the weekend and uh Vanessa was quite obviously sporting a baby bump and someone asked Lynn uh, on Twitter and is V dot 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 question mark. And he responded, oh, hell yeah. I think I don't think anyone that saw that picture would have doubted that she was pregnant. Uh, but it's very exciting to know that they are uh, expecting their second child. Their first uh, son, their three year old son, Sebastian, um, will be expecting either a baby brother or sister here. I would imagine sometime in the early 2018 because she looked like she was pretty far along. But congratulations to both of them. That's awesome. Great news. Uh, also, we had uh, Stagecraft. David Kale, uh, who is the author of Harry Clark, and Jan Simpson got together and chatted for uh, 25 minutes or so. Uh, very interesting uh, episode there. Stagecraft in the feed over the weekend. And uh, we're going to do something fun with Jenna Tessa Fox, who talked with Jennifer Ashley Tepper, uh, who is – we know Jennifer Ashley Tepper from being a – 
theatrical historian and the programming director at 54 Below. But uh, added to her resume on top of that is as a producer for The Parisian Woman, which uh, just opened up. So uh, that will be in your feed, too. And uh, we're going to put it at the end of the of today's episode of Today on Broadway so that uh, if you did not uh, get the download, you can take a listen to it. Coolness. All right. First up in the news, critics weigh in on Once on This Island, the Broadway revival. Yeah, the uh, reviews are still coming in as we're recording now, but uh, I, I think it would have to be a monumental turn of fortune uh, for the overall consensus not to be practically absolute raves. The reviews so far are fantastic for this Broadway revival of the Lynn Aarons and Stephen Flaherty 1990 musical. The show is directed by Michael Arden and features fantastic choreography by Camille A. Brown. The show stars, as we've talked about before, Haley Kilgore, uh, along with the great Leia Salonga and Alex Noel, and a really, really interesting cast of multi-talented performers. Um, and the reviews recognize just how talented they are. Matt Winman of AM New York said, quote, there has probably never been a production quite like the stunning new Broadway revival at Circle in the Square. Emphasizing the musical's themes of natural disaster and economic inequality, director Michael Arden brings an unexpected dose of gritty realism while also honoring its gorgeous score of dynamic group numbers and tender ballads. Vocal fireworks and full-bodied dance choreography imbue spirituality and joyful theatricality. Adam Feldman of Time Out in New York gave the show four out of five stars, writing, quote, after seeing the imaginative, imaginative and dynamic once on this island, you may feel that once is not enough. Michael Arden's immersive revival of Lynn Aarons and Stephen Flaherty's 1990 musical is staged in the round and constantly on the move, drumming its story forward to a steady throb of pop Caribbean beats. David Rooney of the, of the Hollywood Reporter said, quote, Together with his resourceful design team and cast of expressive, vocally gifted performers, Arden has approached the piece with the nurturing hand it requires, striking a balance between childlike story theater and folkloric ritual with a fantastical dash of vigorous voodoo. It's a show about the healing power of storytelling, which makes it perfect for these grim times. Themes concerning the, div the divisions of race, class, skin color, pigmentation, and wealth wealth also give the material timeless currency. And one more, guys, I'm going to throw in here that's not in the script. Uh, Tim Tiemann of the Daily Beast said, The Caribbean music of Once on this Island is so exuberant and beautifully performed that it is only at the end you realize what a tragic tale has been told to you. Haley Kilgore's voice is pure and resonant. Philip Boykin and Kaneta R. Miller, as Tamoon's adoptive parents who worry for her safety, sing beautifully too. Their warmth and love for Timoon feel as an all-encompassing musical blanket by the audience, too. Salanga is the perfect, quote, good witch of love counterpart to Merle Dandridge's malevolence. If the music is wonderful, truly, every song in the direction bringing with life and originality. So, I, you know, save a, an absolute pan from the New York Times, which I don't expect. I think this is a fantastic uh, way to start um, what hopefully will be a long run over at Circle in the Square Theater, a production that I've talked about before. I didn't want to do a full review, and there are things that I have a little more issues with than maybe these reviewers did, but I saw it so early in previews that maybe they figured a way to work those out. But overall, guys, I think this one, if reviews mean anything, will have a nice long life uh, at Circle in the Square. That is great news. This is such a good show, and I'm very excited to see it. I haven't seen it since the original Broadway production. 
and I, I actually I, I see it uh, Monday evening. So very excited to see it and uh, awesome. revisit it one more time. Uh, totally off script here. Um, bec- <laughs> it, you had mentioned that Brantley. Oh well, the New York Times review. I'm assuming it's yeah. a Brantley review. I don't know if it will be or not uh, a Brantley review, but Brantley reviewed an off off Broadway. Um, production of the Pirates of Penzance and gave it a New York Times critic's pick and rave, rave review and it's got like four performances left or something like that so if you were in the New York City area it's down at the NYU Skirball Center I'm trying to get to it but I have like a million shows this week so I can't, I don't think I'm going to be able to see this before it closes it's a a production uh, produced by the Hypocrites uh, out of Chicago, down at NYU Skirball Center, uh, and Brantley gave it a total rave. It's the Pirates of Penzance staged in a um, oh, it's weird in a it, seaside it's... resort uh, yeah. with with like <laughs> it looks like sixties or seventies outfits in the pictures that we're seeing here. Maybe it's, 50s, it's like they're so. doing it. it. It's like they're doing it at the uh, the resort in Dirty Dancing. Um, yes, yes, exactly. What is exactly. that called? What is that <sighs> Kellerman's. They're doing it at Kellerman's. Nobody from, puts uh, baby in the dancing. corner. Exactly. Well, it, it looks really interesting yeah. from these pictures. So that's awesome. <laughs> so interesting. And and if you're a listener and you've got a chance to see this Pirates of Benzance, drop us a message. I, I'd love to hear about, uh, you know, uh, what this is because this totally flew under the radar. I don't, I don't even see a press release in my press releases about it. Maybe no. I didn't, I didn't get one. Anyway, so we'll uh, move forward uh, from that. Uh, Once on this island to Pirates of Benzance to is Titanic coming back to Broadway? Uh, you had <laughs> we kind of chatted this about island, this, didn't Pirates we? of Pen- we did, but I think it's interesting. We go from once on this island to Pirates of Penzance. It is getting progressively worse in terms of nautical <laughs> things going on here. Uh, but yes, on Friday, the South Korean theater, the OD Company, announced its intentions to bring its currently running revival of Maury Yeston and Peter Stone's musical Titanic oh. back to Broadway. Directed by Eric Schaefer, the production is very similar to one that he helmed at Arlington, Virginia's signature theater last year. I think, James, we might have even talked about that one. Um, The set is this really cool collection of bridges and staircases and catwalks all across this thrust stage that simulate the kind of massiveness of the Titanic without having to build the actual boat, which was obviously something, if you saw the original production, that was a very big part of what was the draw for the show, but also maybe one of the things that was a detraction for the show. Now, guys, this press release that was sent out doesn't exactly give any details as to when or with whom the show plans to come to Broadway in the sole production that is currently running through February 11th. The songs have been translated into Korean. And since the show didn't do too great on Broadway originally in English, I can't imagine they're going to try to bring it to Broadway in Korean with superscript or anything. <laughs> um, so whether or not this show ever actually does end up on Broadway or if this is a trial balloon, I think, as you might have suggested, James, um, it's anyone's guest. But we have video of the Korean production highlights. And I have to say, it's really pretty visually impressive. One thing we know that even if a show doesn't do well, if Maury Yeston's writing the score, that's the songs are probably going to be pretty uh, are going to be pretty good and fairly moving in and of themselves. So um, have either of you guys seen the highlights of this yet? 
No, I, I haven't, but I'd love to check them out because it sounds really cool. I did see it, and I thought we talked about it on Today on Broadway, but actually this came out Friday after we recorded yeah. it, and it, it was just you and I were talking about it. It actually yes. wasn't even yes. – we weren't talking. Okay. <laughs> I was like, why are we doing this again? Oh, we didn't do it yet. Okay. <laughs> no, we should – anytime that you and I talk, whether it's via text message or phone – we don't talk by phone, but we should be recording it for yes. preservation's sake so we can use it at some point but yeah did you look at the did you watch the highlights i did yeah and i and i was thinking i was like would they bring the whole korean production here but that that doesn't make too much sense to do ah, but you yeah. know you know i don't know so it'll be interesting right. yeah uh next up transport group announces a starry man of la mancha yeah last week the transport group had announced its initial casting which is Weird, and we'll get to why it's weird that this is an initial casting. Um, but for an upcoming concert production of Man of La Mancha, its first musical in this season's Anne L. Bernstein concert series, the concert features an incredible amount of insane talent, including, get ready for this, John Cariani, Jason Daniel, Santino Fontana, Mark Kudish, Julia Murney, Bryce Pinkham, Andrew Samansky, and Mary Testa. They will also be jo joined by Georgia Budd, Jessica Fontana, Hunter Ryan Herdlicka, Tally Sessions, Jason Sweet Tooth Williams, and more. And apparently, more casting will be announced soon. That's why I mean, wow. at this huge cast, I don't know why they need more. James, you might know this. Is this one of the things where they do? Did they do Peter Pan a couple years ago when they had different people singing the the Peter Pan songs throughout? Um, I know they did. They did um, uh, once uh, once on a once on a mattress, once upon a mattress a couple years ago, and it wasn't like that. But maybe that's what it is where they're kind of rotating through. Because when you're telling me that John Cariani, Jason Daniel, Santino Fontana, and Mark Kudish are in this show, as well as Bryce Pinkham and Andrew Samatsky, I'm like, who's playing what part? There's not that many parts mm -hmm. i mean um so i don't know what's going on there but uh, uh should be interesting the concert takes place on monday december 18th at 8 p.m at the merkin concert hall at the kaufman music center do you have any insight into what's going on here james no insight but i found that the peter pan concert was uh, august 15th 2016 uh and it was at the uh, signature center on 42nd street and they had a huge cast uh yeah was that, but it, but it was transport group as well. It was transport group. Yes. Okay. That's that's correct. With uh, hosted by Charles Bush, Carolee mm -hmm. Carmillo, Rachel Bay Jones, uh, Anne Harada, Mark Kudish, Betsy Morgan, Alexandra Silver, Silbs, uh, Paul mm -hmm. Slade Smith, Elizabeth Stanley, uh, D.C. Anderson, Patrick Ball, Richard Costa. Michael D'Souza, Tim Dolan, David Greenspan, Ivory McKay, Doug Shapiro. Um, yeah. So basically so, another yeah, one of those big really, casts of yeah. a bunch of really talented people. Exactly. All right. Well, interesting. And so uh, right. Transport Group, Rocket. Yeah. So that's really exciting. But in less than exciting news to wrap up the show and casting news section, last week the off-Broadway show Hot Mess announced that it will close later this month. The show, which stars Max Crum and Lucy DeVito, will end its run on December 17th after 42 productive performances off-Broadway. James, did you guys ever get around to talking about that on This Week on Broadway? I don't think so because it doesn't ring a okay. bell because i would have made a joke about hot mess and yeah. uh all right i don't recall the I would, that's, yeah, okay it sounds good <laughs> so uh serocious ronin sings on saturday night live <laughs> i'm so glad i'm so glad you butchered her name that is so, that is so absolutely perfect that you butchered i tried back and forth i tried it so many different ways <laughs> 
Saoirse. Her name is Saoirse Ronan. Yeah. Um, she is currently starring in the critically acclaimed and potentially uh, Academy Award contending movie Lady Bird, which I've talked about on this show before. She was also on Broadway last season. I guess it was, well, the 2016-2017 season. I don't remember. Anyway, in The Crucible, she played Abigail Williams yeah. in The Crucible, and she was nominated for an Academy Award for Brooklyn a couple years ago. She's fantastic, and she hosted Saturday Night Live this past week. And for her monologue, to kind of help people understand how to actually pronounce her name, that's why I thought it was funny that you yes. butchered it, she did her own rendition of Liza with a Z. Um, and while Liza with a Z is actually pretty helpful if you pay attention, Seer Show with a sheer, not as helpful, but it's really funny. I <laughs> laughed out loud, and I rarely laugh out loud at Saturday Night Live. Um, so check that one out. And I've got to say, James, when you when we talked about this offline earlier, you said, are there any music? Because she can sing fairly well, yeah. at least in this clip. Are there any musicals? Isn't one of the Kates Irish? She's Irish. Seer Show Ronan is Irish. Oh, yeah. Isn't that the Kates and Titanic Irish? Yeah, absolutely. But I... There we go. I wonder if she can dance, if we can put her into Chicago, if she can do a quick hit in Chicago. She's, I think she's probably a little big for Chicago at this point. Uh, too, too large of a star? Yes, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. Um, yeah, probably, unless, you know, she's able to just get her feet wet in the musical sense uh, to see how that works out. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, maybe, Natalie, do you know anything in this week's theatrical schedule? Is she going into Chicago? Uh, not not this week, but stay tuned. We will uh, we'll announce if that if that does happen. Well, tell uh, us what's happening in this in the schedule. All right. Well, first up, the original Broadway production SpongeBob SquarePants opens on Monday at the Palace Theater. Ethan Slater is making his Broadway debut as SpongeBob, and he is joined by Tony and Olivier nominee Gavin Lee as Squidward Tentacles. Also on Monday, New York Theater's Workshop's 100 Days opens. This is a story about embracing uncertainty, taking a leap, and loving as if you only had 100 days to live. 100 Days was originally commissioned, developed, and produced by Z-Space and Piece by Piece Productions. The original Broadway production Farinelli and the King begins previews on Tuesday at the Belasco Theater. This production was inspired by the true story of the Spanish monarch Philip V, who falls into madness and finds solace in the voice of world-renowned Castrato Farinelli. Oscar and three-time Tony winner Mark Rylance stars in this production. Farinelli and the King will officially open on December 17th. The West End production of Hamilton begins previews on Wednesday at the Victoria Palace Theater. The cast features Jamel Westman as Alexander Hamilton, Giles Torreira as Aaron Burr, Rachel John as Angelica Schuyler, Rachel Ann Goh as Eliza Hamilton, and many more amazing performers. This production uh, will officially open on December 21st. Natalie, I'm unfamiliar with this one. Could you give me a rundown about what this show is about? Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah, heard, it's, yeah, it's quite unfamiliar. Unknown. Yeah, it was, it was off-Broadway years ago, so <laughs> you might not have heard okay. of it. Okay. All right, fine. Go ahead. Move yeah. on. We don't anyway. All right. Well, 59 East 59 Theater's production entitled Cross That River will open on Wednesday. The unsettled west of the 1860s provides a new life and new dreams for Blue, a runaway slave who escapes to Texas to become one of America's first African-American cowboys. Titus Andronicus opens on Thursday at London's Royal Shakespeare Company. In the chaos and disorder of 2017, Titus Andronicus is a commentary on the violence that ensues when a society is oppressed. 
The world premiere of BLKS opens on Thursday at Chicago and Steppenwolf Theater. The, this play explores a day in the life of four young black women discovering life's uncomfortable truths in New York City. This production was written by poet Aziza Barnes. Now moving on to the closings for this week. Second Stage Theater's revival of Torch Song, starring Michael Urie, will close on Saturday. The West End premiere of Venus and Fur at Theater Royal, Royal Haymarket will close on Saturday. Manhattan Theater Club's The Portuguese Kid will close on Sunday. Urban Stage's off-Broadway production A Deal will close on Sunday. And lastly, Manhattan Theater Club's production entitled Actually will close on Sunday. And that's it for this week's theatrical schedule. Hmm. All right. All right. So, uh, as I mentioned before, we're going to play uh, Jenna's, uh, Jenna Sessa Fox's spotlight interview with Jennifer Ashley Tepper uh, after we wrap up here. So, Matt, why don't you get us out of here? All right. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. You can find me on Twitter at BWWMatt and subscribe to Something Like a Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Natalie, where can people find you on the interwebs? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Natalie underscore Noack. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for starting off your week with us. Um, Matt and I are going to be coming back to you on Tuesday morning a little bit later than normal because we're going to be recording on Tuesday morning. So uh, we'll talk to you then. Fox, and this is Spotlight on Broadway Radio. With us today is Jennifer Ashley Tepper, the Director of Programming at 54 Below and the author of the Untold Stories of Broadway book series. Uh, Jennifer is also the Associate Producer on the new show The Parisian Woman, which just opened on Broadway. Just before The Parisian Woman opened, we caught up with Jennifer on a late-night phone call. Have a listen. So with us today, we have Jennifer Ashley Tepper, who is, uh, everyone knows from 54 Below and organizing all of the reunion concerts, but she's also making her Broadway debut as an associate producer of The Parisian Woman. Jennifer, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you for having me. Or I should really say tonight, because it's uh, 1130 <laughs> at night. What has your day been like? You, you posted that you've been writing cards for the Parisian woman. You've been catching shows, and now you're getting home very late. So what has your day been like? Um, you know, talking this late, actually, it feels very old school to me. Like when, you know, artists would meet journalists at 1130 at like a cafe to like talk about their show. Um, we open the Parisian woman tomorrow. So a lot of my day has been about that, about things like opening night cards and making sure everything's in line for opening, um, which is really exciting. And then I've had kind of a crazy day of other things. I actually did an interview for my fourth book this morning with Stacey Mindich, the producer of Jeremy Hansen, uh, which was great. Um, and in between did a lot of work on, um, you know, Feinstein's 54 Below shows. Uh, every week is 16 to 18 shows, and every week I book 16 to 18 shows for the future, so there's never a dull moment. When do you sleep? <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, usually I'm like, oh, you know, you know, efficiency tips and priorities, but really I feel like for the past month I have, like, not had time to sleep at all. <laughs> oh, my God. Sounds like it. So can you tell me, how did you get start? Uh, how did you get involved with the Parisian woman? 
Sure. Uh, the owners of 54 Below are actually um, Richard Frankel, Tom Bertel, Steve Baruch, and Mark Rouse, um, who are producing partners. Um, and Steve, Tom, and Richard have been producing partners for over 30 years and done, you know, dozens of Broadway shows, off-Broadway shows. Um, and part of my, um, you know, partnership with them as the creative and programming director at 54 Below um, and I've also started to be involved in their producing activities. So uh, the Parisian Woman, you know, they've been leading the development on that. Um, and we've been involved with the play for two, a little over two years, um, been working on it creatively. Um, and so they brought me on board, which was really wonderful. And I love working with them in a new way because they're fantastic um, colleagues. Uh, they brought me on board um, to work on it you know, in terms of, you know, I've been in auditions, I've been involved with ad meetings, I've been involved with, you know, all the basic things that producers are involved with on a day-to-day -day basis um, alongside them for this show. And what has the experience been like, uh, be getting all hands on, uh, getting your hands involved and being, you know, hand, very hands-on with this? What's it been like? It's been so great. It's such a terrific play. And I really think um, you know, it's incredibly timely. Um, it's obviously, you know, it has to do with politics. I don't like to give too much away just because, you know, some people don't like spoilers like I don't. Um, but it, it's very, you know, it speaks to the time we're in now. And Uma Thurman plays a very strong woman who, um, you know, has to deal with a lot in Washington. I'll say that. And um, who follows, you know, the beat of her own drum. And it, it has a lot to say about where women are in 2017. So I thought the play was very amazing. And one really interesting thing has been seeing how it's evolved um, over the past two years, as obviously a lot of things have happened politically that would impact the characters in the play. So that's been interesting. Um, as, you know, associate producer, one of the things that's funny to me um, is that, you know, I've worked on four Broadway shows, um, not as an associate producer, but, you know, I've worked for the producer of the show as his marketing director, or, you know, I've been the assistant director, or, you know, I've had all these different titles. But what's really funny is that when you're working on a show, just like when you're working on a show in a basement, it really is like, hey, you're good at this, come help with this thing. It's, it's very much, um, you know, all hands on deck, not like I would move a lawn chair in a scene if there was one, um, you know, because I'm not union, not that kind of all hands on deck. But, um, you know, so things that I did on shows like Godspell, which I worked on, um, you know, handling, you know, talking to investors and, and creating events for the show, it's not so different, even if your title's different. Um, that's just like an interesting thing about theater. And that's just been my experience with the shows I've worked on so far. I haven't really, um, you know, been in any room, any rooms that I wasn't in already. I've just kind of gotten, you know, to that ne next level as far as like having the producer title. Yeah, so I know, I remember we talked years ago when you were working on Godspell. How have the responsibilities changed uh, with the new title and with, you know, the new role that you're taking on now? Um, well, what's interesting is, uh, as an associate producer, you know, the producers have kept me very much in the loop about um, making decisions about all the things that producers make decisions on, um, from casting to financial decisions um, to, you know, marketing decisions. So I've been part of those conversations, I would say, maybe in a, a slightly more active way. Um, and, you know, on shows like Godspell that I did where I had, you know, a role in the marketing department, um, you know, there were times when I did things like that, but it wasn't technically part of my job. So, it's just, I mean, it's these like little subtle differences. And it's also, you know, 
musicals obviously have different responsibilities than plays. Um, and then what's the weird thing is, is, you know, like we all work on projects that aren't necessarily like the front thing on our resume or the first thing in our bio, but which we work on like a lot. Um, and I think that's like, you know, I've had shows that friends have written or been in that I've like been there giving notes all the time or like, you know, helped in a very hands-on way that aren't necessarily like a credit I have. So I just think in theater, it's like really um, malleable in a way that people don't expect. Um, that said, it's been, you know, it's been really interesting to get to the level of, you know, being an associate producer in terms of just like the conversations that I've gotten to I like trying to think of a good example. Um, well, you know, we did, we had like a, a round of auditions that I was part of that Uma was actually present for reading with some of the actors and being part of some of those conversations. You know, I've never been in that room before um, with the producers and the casting director and the director, Pam McKinnon, and, you know, the star kind of having these conversations about the direction the play is going to go in artistically based on if we cast this person or that person. So that's something that certainly, you know, is, new to me and was very exciting and like artistically interesting. Um, but I think each play kind of brings its own jobs. And again, it's like, even if your title isn't this, you might get to do that if you like jump in. Excellent. So you've been involved in the Broadway industry since you were a toddler or so. How does it feel <laughs> to finally have your name in a Broadway playbill with the Nayward producer right next to it? <laughs> it's really great you know I am so like passionate about what producers do in making shows happen um and I was like very delighted to have like a bio for the first time because I've, I've had like you know my name but not a bio so like that little next step um and it's really I mean it's so thrilling and honestly it's just like exciting to be part of it uh I was really excited when our show uh, when we figured out that we'd be going to the Hudson um, because it's like both the oldest and the newest Broadway theater. So getting to spend time at the Hudson and, um, you know, they have such a great team like over there at ATG that run the theater that know everything about it and that it's like so it's re refurbished and renovated, but in a way that like pays absolute tribute to what it originally was. It's such an amazing space. Um, so to kind of spend time working on the show at the Hudson has been like a special bonus. Speaking of historic theaters, shifting gears a little bit, you got to take a rather remarkable tour the other day. Oh, my God. Did I ever? Could you tell <laughs> um, us about now, that? We're doing this uh, Legs Diamond 30th reunion concert, Legs Diamond being um, a underappreciated musical from the late 80s by Peter Allen and Harvey Firestein that involved, um, you know, a slew of like incredibly talented people who have not ever, you know, gotten back together for any kind of reunion concert and are doing so at 554 Below on Sunday. And so I've been talking to them about doing this for months and months and months. Um, and they are such a special group. And they talked to the people at the Times Square Church, which, of course, used to be the Mark Hellinger Theater, where the show played before it was handed over to the church. Leg Simon was actually the last show to play there. Um, and they connected with some people at the church who let the original cast members and myself all have this extensive tour. Um, and the Mark Hellinger, which I should call the Times Square Church for, you know, clarity, uh, it's 
also like it's it's kept the theater in such remarkable shape it's gorgeous i mean like you can walk in it's on you know 51st street and see it um during a church service and it looks exactly like it did in the like photos of my fair lady when that was there in the 50s so it's a beautiful space and i got to walk around with them and you know they were all reminiscing and saying oh my god remember when this happened in tech and we were sitting right there or oh my god this was my dressing room and like what is it now and opening the door um, and we were all like, you know, making Follies references and it was just very surreal and really cool because um, they all, you know, had such a time together and, and coming back together to reminisce about that and also sing the songs is special. And then to add on top of that, like a tour of the Hellinger is kind of incredible. Like what other business does stuff like that? You know, none of them had been in there since the show closed. So it was pretty crazy. That is awesome. And yeah, you described it as being like Follies. The reunion concerts that you're organizing, does that all feel like a bit Follies to you or to the cast? <laughs> Definitely. And it's my like absolute great privilege that, you know, I felt the other night a little bit like how I felt, um, you know, when the original cast of Merrily kind of adopted me as their mascot um, in certain ways over the years as I've been writing about them and doing projects about Marilyn with them um and I felt a little bit similar like, like Diamond Mask got the other day but it's like really special to get to bring these things back and you know celebrate them and show new people who didn't get to see them the first time what they are and it's just like a thing that you know only theater can do like you can't really reunite the cast of a movie and like redo the movie like there's nothing else like that um and it's really I mean it's like a tribute to like the you know intangible nature of like what theater is it's it's so beautiful to have these reunion concerts um and of course a lot of them are shows that didn't necessarily get their like due and the first time so there's kind of like a a sense of closure and, and celebration that I think is like really special to people who um, you know, maybe didn't feel like the show was appreciated as much as it could have been. Um, and we've gotten to do dozens at 54 Below, um, and not just reunion concerts. We obviously do, like, a lot of musicals and concerts that, um, you know, have new casts, and sometimes those have a similar aim. Um, I was just thinking about, we did a show called A Broadway Musical, which closed on Broadway in the 70s, um, and we did it in concert at 54, and Charles Strauss was one of the writers, um, and he came to the concert, and he was so moved that he, like, stood up in the audience at the end and made a speech just about how he was so glad that, like, more than 40 years later, he finally got to sit and watch it with an audience that like was enjoying it. And like, it worked in certain ways because of the way that the concert happened. And, you know, those like full circle moments for creators and casts are like really special. And, you know, letting those audiences have the once in a lifetime experience of, you know, seeing something like that. So it's kind of, it's one of my favorite things I get to do at 54. You've done a bunch of them. Have they gotten easier to organize and to pull together or does each one present its own challenges? You know, it's funny, like, I've been at 54 for over four years now. And, you know, it never gets easier in terms of what the challenges are. And, you know, it's, it's always like, we know we have this many seats. We know that if we do this, this will happen. But there's still, like, the fact that you're putting on a show with people. And there's a certain alchemy of people that happens um, and of rehearsals and of creative, you know, decisions that can never quite be predicted. Um, and, of course, like, all of these shows that we're talking about, like, reunion shows have just, like, a huge group of people. And it's not a large space. So there's, like, just a lot of logistically things that can, um, you know, be complicated if you've not done it before, which in each of these cases, like a lot of the actors won't have ever done it before. So it always poses unique challenges. Um, but I'm happy to say that 
one of the challenges is not getting people excited about it because we've been able to kind of cultivate this audience of um, people that like underappreciated musicals and appreciate them, for lack of a better word. Um, and I think, you know, because of the If It Only Runs a Minute concert series that um, I started seven, eight years ago that celebrates those, I kind of had this groundwork to like take off from to do full musicals and concert of these shows. Um, so each one has unique challenges and each one, it's like so rewarding. And so like this can never happen exactly in this way again. And we're so glad we did it. What is the best behind the scenes story from one of the reunion concerts? You know, I always think about, we did a, a reunion of the original cast of Smile, which is definitely a favorite of mine, um, written by, you know, Howard Ashman and Marvin Hamlish. Um, and it was honestly like all of those women were, you know, either in their late teens or early 20s when they did the show. And having them come back together in rehearsal and like doing that show with them, it felt like I was like a fly on the wall at like a high school reunion and a summer camp reunion, but it was like a Broadway reunion. Like it was so fascinating to see the ways that like, you know, like we all, even if you weren't on smile on, in smile on Broadway, like you have those like camp friends or school friends that you like reunite with and you all act like you're 16 and just like watching this group of women who are a generation older than me, just like become 16 again and like squeal over things that they remembered. And like, it, it was so touching and like cool to be a part of. Um, and just like, really like tells you how wonderful theater can be like even when the show you know caused some disappointment and it didn't run for as long as they wished because like they have these friendships and these connections that um both to each other and to the writers and um that like last and are formative and are important and that was like really lovely to see with the smile gang so you've got legs diamond coming up this week uh, this coming weekend, uh, two performances on Sunday the 3rd, then Sunday the 10th, it's the Story of My Life reunion concert with the yes. original cast, Will Chase and Malcolm Getz, and you, how wonderful that you get to reunite the entire Broadway cast of that show. <laughs> I know, you know, I saw it um, at Good Speed, uh, and obviously, you know, not obviously, I guess, because, you know, but on, on Broadway, I saw it as well, so I'm really excited to have that, and you know, we had Lennon earlier this year, which was like yes. a hugely important show to me as like a 19 year old who was obsessed with it and rushed it all the time. And, and everyone in it was like heroes to me. So, um, yeah, we've had some really cool ones this year. Um, we have Drowsy Chaperone coming up in January. It's the kind of thing where um, people are like, why haven't you done this one yet? And I'm like, well, we have to wait for like the exact right moment for, you know, this person and that person to be available. Um, but I will say there's one that we haven't announced yet that I unfortunately can't say what it is, but uh, it's definitely finally happening in July with like five of the six original cast members. And I'm so psyched to announce it soon, but there's always stuff like in the pipeline like that. So volume four of untold stories, what has that process been like? Again, is that process getting any easier now that you've already got three books out or is it still unique and scary for each interview you go into? <laughs> You know, it's not scary anymore, which, you know, is nice. Uh, just like I, I know what I'm doing. But as far as, you know, with each book, I try to tell the most complete story that I can about eight different theaters. Um, and so that involves making sure, you know, I'm interviewing 
make sure you have a stagehand from the 1950s. Make sure you have, you know, a female playwright from this theater. Like, make sure that you're representing this show, which ran for a while here. So um, it's the kind of thing where there's always challenges as far as exactly who to interview and about exactly what that's going to, like, accurately tell um, you know, a story and also, you know, give readers a lot of perspective on different things. Um, and, you know, with each book that happens, I have a different idea of, uh, oh, it would be really nice to, you know, tell more about what the box office does or, oh, like, let's talk more about parody and theater and about, um, you know, what was happening in the seventies when more women were getting hired in this job. And, and so like those things come up as priorities. And then there's the challenge of, you know, telling that story well, um, and, you know, talking to people and finding out things that I didn't know I needed to know and then exploring them a little bit more deeply. So, um, right now I'm, you know, I'm working on book four and I've done, I think about 12 new interviews for it so far. Um, and I've started to, you know, work on each chapter and, and figure out what each chapter is going to be. And, um, it's just an interesting like puzzle, no matter what. And I think, um, for all six books, it'll be a puzzle and a, have kind of similar challenges. Which theaters are covered in this book? Um, you know, we haven't announced them yet, um, so I can't actually say, but I will say I have been working um, a lot on the Imperial chapter. So I'll, like, drop that. <laughs> the Imperial is in book uh, four uh, because, you know, I've talked to so many people about the Imperial over the years, and the chapter right now, it's like it could be an entire book. So right now I'm tearing it down um, and then also figuring out kind of, like, which parts of it I need more information on. Um, I just edited this, like, incredible story from Donna Murphy, which the interesting thing about the process for this book is the the largest amount of interviews that I did, like the huge majority I did in 2013. And so, you know, I was just editing a story from my interview with Donna Murphy, but it's from 2013, but it's about uh, the Imperial and like her experience there with uh, they're playing our song and with Edwin Drood. And it's incredible. And I like was flashing back to her telling it to me in 2013, but I haven't thought about it since. And now I'm like, oh, this is a cornerstone of book four. Uh, so it's kind of like time traveling to the 70s for they're playing our song and to the 80s for Drood, and then also to myself in 2013. Um, it's like a very surreal thing, writing the books in that way. Are there any stories that you've had to cut for space reasons from the books that you could share here? You know, the space reason thing, uh, mostly I find that it's my fault because um, and, you know, you have to cut some stuff and things that, you know, make sense. But um, I'll become obsessed with specific things about a theater. And then I'll kind of want to ask anyone that wor ha has worked there about it. And, like, you only need so many people telling you about the safe that's backstage at Studio 54. So, like, I'm like, oh, I talked to 12 people. They all said the same thing about the safe. And then also, like, I found more information myself that I actually, like, tell and so we probably only need like one person introducing him and me telling what it was which is super interesting but it's just funny to me that I'm like oh my god I'm obsessed with this like secret door in the theater tell me about it and then everyone tells me about it but it's the same thing and sometimes that's kind of a cool thing right like if someone who worked there in 1980 is telling you about the safe and then someone who worked there in 1987 or whatever um and it's the same thing. Like, that has a place, um, but somewhat it ends up being repetitive. So things like that get cut. And then also I think um, certain things where you're just like, oh, this doesn't – it doesn't fit what they're talking about or like, you know, someone will tell a really interesting story. And oftentimes, you know, I don't delete it. I just kind of put it in a file that's like, this wasn't about the Imperial. This ended up being about, you know, 
a tryout they did in Boston of another show and it doesn't have a place right now. I'll keep it in the file. Um, maybe there'll be like a, a book seven of just like lost tidbits because sometimes they're pretty interesting, but they don't make sense within what the story is. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for taking the time on this. Uh, my God, it's almost opening night now for the Parisian woman. So you yes. better get over to the theater. <laughs> thank you really so much funny. for taking like the time. Thank you. Uh, And break legs and look forward to seeing you at 54 Below. Definitely. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye.